0: We're Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is The Walking With Podcast.
1: We lead a team of brave and brilliant story work counselors and coaches around the country, all committed to helping you come alive.
0: Join us as we explore the sacred landscape of the human heart at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry.
1: This month we're in a series on faith because that's really the heart of who we are here working at the intersection of theology and psychology we talked with lisa russell about the stages of faith and nicole clifton about faith deconstruction today we're joined by one of our spiritual counselors jeremy williamson to talk about the pressure of being a faith leader and the importance of living an integral life mess and all You can learn more about Jeremy over at RestorationCounselingNOCO.com slash Jeremy-Williamson. And of course, anything else you need to know about us on the same site, or visit our digital laboratory site at RestoryLabs.com, the space to come alive via courses, memberships, webinars, and more. Here's our conversation with Jeremy. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Beth. I'm excited to be here.
1: Let's dive right in. And we want to hear a little bit about what leads you to do the kind of work that you do. Where, are you, where is that coming from for you?
2: Oh, that is such a good question. You know, Beth, I, some of my earliest memories, um, even like first grade, so six years old, I remember being out on the playground during recess and just standing there waiting for a kid to like fall off a swing or get in a fight. And for some reason I was just drawn into those spaces of hurt or like conflict to just come in and, and be present. Um, I've, I've just always loved people and their hearts and their messes for some reason. And so now as an adult, uh, just through seasons of ministry and pastoral ministry and in missions, I, I personally get so much joy by going on the great adventure uh, with people into their hearts and into their stories. It is incredible. I Jeremy, it.
0: I could totally picture you as a little boy on the playground <laughs> running as like a first responder to both the situation and also to the person's heart. Like that is totally uh- I can totally see you doing that.
2: And the, the memory is so vivid because I, I even remember I had this really cool jean jacket, which they're back in style again. <laughs> I had this really cool jean jacket with like a fleece liner. And I would stand there like just like with my face to the wind, feeling like this very important person in my jean jacket, just waiting for <laughs> someone to need me. It was, it was weird, but a great memory. <laughs> that,
0: is, that is incredible. Um, I'd love to see you in a jean jacket again someday. So, um, well, let's talk a little bit about, so you, uh, you have been a pastor, you do pastor, you work in the world of, um, relief, uh, as well as what you do here at, at restoration. And, you know, you and I've talked a lot about people who are in ministry and really the, both the joy and challenge of being in that position of this, this what we want to bring to the kingdom, to build the kingdom, and to offer and to serve, uh, to serve God. And yet, in the same time, we too are human. We too have our own pressures and faults and challenges and stories. And one of the things that you really work with uh, are are people who who are in that place. And I'd love for you to speak to just kind of what it's been like for you and what to be with them, to walk with people. Through various situations they've come with, uh, come to you with and and what you're really seeing in the midst
2: of the world of pastors and ministers no oh, it's so good, yeah you know Chris I like my experience uh, just in my own life in ministry was coming up in youth group and having an interest in ministry and even you know after high school having an interest in ministry, there is sort of this uh, my experience was that it was like, oh, here's, here's like a warm body who's willing and is good at whatever. And so let's put him in ministry. And I think a lot of us had that experience. And the interesting thing, what I'm learning is that for most of us, we are put into ministry before the work of spiritual maturity has really had the opportunity to take place in our lives. And so the thing about that is, Ministry has a way, like full-time vocational ministry has a way sometimes of arresting the process of spiritual formation in our lives in, in a lot of ways. And so we've, we jump in as these young, passionate, like ready to go and take over the world. I mean, I literally believed that I was going to take over the world, change the world, you know, do yeah, huge so things. Totally, totally. And, and um, only to have my faith completely explode and uh, in some ways fall apart. My first experience in missions Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was living in El Salvador and there was a huge earthquake. And so I was surrounded by literal death and destruction, but then also in that same season, experienced the death and destruction of my team and every, you know, the cult pressure that culture brings. And so I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready to be neck deep in ministry yet doubting my faith and neck deep in ministry and, uh, really wondering where God was. And so to me that truth just creates all sort of pressure for pastors and ministry leaders, because we're not supposed to struggle and we're not supposed to have issues and we're not supposed to be wrestling with our faith. But the fact is, is we, we are in this spiritual formation process just like everyone else, but the expectations on us to have already completed the process, as if that's even possible, are so high. And so I talk to a lot of pastors and missionaries who wrestle, but there's like this second layer that they wrestle because they're wrestling and they feel shame and guilt over the fact that they are imperfect. And that uh, breaks my heart, but it's it's a common, common issue, Chris.
0: You know, and I hear the words you just said, you know, we're neck deep in ministry. And I feel like when we get to that place, right, you're living overseas, you've built a church, you've planted, you know, you've built an organization, whatever it is, and you're neck deep and all of a sudden you're wrestling with something and then you're wrestling with that wrestling Mm -hmm. and there's nowhere to go. Because everyone, the way that I like to talk about it is when, when you're in ministry like that, kind of everyone around you is somewhere in your food chain, right? There's someone mm-hmm. that they're, they're somehow connected to you. They're a donor. They're a congregant. They're an elder. There's, there's people around you that, you know, you are responsible for and to. And when you are wrestling with something as a pastor, missionary, minister, like, where do you go? I,
2: most of the time my experience has been that there is not a safe system for needing to go somewhere. Right. So the is nowhere. A lot of people don't go anywhere. Yeah. Right. Because you you don't feel comfortable bringing it up always with your spouse. You don't, Mm -hmm. you certainly can't say anything to your church board or you're from the pulpit. Lord help us. I mean, that's, you just, it's hard. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So what I hear is that we have kind of a chronic sustained shame that a lot of Mm -hmm. leaders are holding in their bodies, um, in their work, and that's growing, intensifying, and that is covering the actual root of, of another problem that's also not being healed and faced. And so what does that start to look like? How does that start to leak and ooze into the spaces from which they're leading? Where, where are we seeing that pop up?
2: Mm, That's really good. It's a really good question. I think it depends on, it always, it always leaks. It's impossible for it not to leak and different people handle it differently. I see some guys who are really high performers, Enneagram three type guys who, um, and some eights and uh, who, who tend to just build a false self and and occupy this persona that is safer and they sort of create this persona that is perfect. And that is a um, an incredible uh, performer that everybody loves and looks up to. And they sort of begin to live into that persona, which is, is scary because many times at the extreme of that, there is a great fall and and things can that tower can come crashing down and it's made of glass and it's it's really painful when it crashes i think there are others who get have this underlying sort of anger and just a sense of disquiet in their own souls and the anger can begin to leak out on their families on their wives on their staff and it it is again like rooted in this place of not being fully integrated as a person of not being true to the reality of where I'm at and what I feel in ministry and in my relationship with God right now. Um, But it's, it definitely leaks out in one way or another.
0: And we've seen over the course of the last, you know, year and years, a lot of those falls, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the debris, the ripple effect of that, uh, that harm is just incredible. And I think you know most people, like you said, get into ministry because we want to serve. We want to love. We want to love the Lord. We w- you know we don't imagine ourselves getting to that point, but unaddressed, undigested pain will inevitably leak out in some way. And I love how you just put it like that glass castle of we just create this place where we sequester our own hearts away, and it just shatters. And when it shatters, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: we've heard you talk about living out of living an integral life mess and muck and all is actually the better path to health and healing not only for that individual ministry leader but for all of the other people that they're leading. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Oh yeah thank you Beth I mean I I get I completely understand the expectation that we have in ministry that we have, We are expected not to struggle. But in a way, that means that we are expected not to grow because the path toward growth, toward becoming like Christ, toward embodying God's plan for me is struggle. It is always struggle. And so for us, Beth, to have the the ability to just be honest about where we are today and to be real about what I'm facing right now, that, you know, you talk to pastors who have had some big fall, right? Some big explosion. And they say, yeah, the reality was, is I hadn't been praying. I hadn't prayed. I hadn't talked to the Lord in a year. That's so common. And it's, I wish that a year ago, there would have been a safe place to say I'm having, a, I'm having an issue praying because that, that wrestle is a part of, growing as a person is growing as a follower of christ everybody goes through those wrestles but pastors aren't allowed to and so we we stick and i'm just all about creating safe spaces for pastors and ministry leaders to be honest about where they're at and to be able to process whatever wall they've come up against struggle they're having pain they felt uh, in, in just a safe space so they can keep growing and keep moving forward
1: hmm We've kind of built our work upon this idea of we're just going live, to live it out loud. We're going to parent out loud. Thankfully, our kids are on board with that. We're going <laughs> to do our marriage out loud, which is going to come out in a, this new marriage podcast we're launching where we're actually talking through issues, our own issues on a awesome. show. Like, we think that there's a lot um, of, of needed transparency and authenticity And I I hear that here as well in this space, that what would it look like for ministry leaders to just live their faith out loud and invite people into those seasons of drought, those seasons of um, not being able to engage the Lord in prayer, those long walks of shame, and just to invite people in to that in transparency. What would, our collective faith start to look like? What would our mm-hmm. faith spaces turn into oh, well. if we had leaders leading like that?
2: Oh, it's a far better option because we, we would have healthy leaders for one thing. And second of all, generations that are growing up can smell a fake a mile away. Like the people who are growing up, young people who are coming up in church, they did not grow up with an automatic Um, authority structure in their minds or in their culture that puts a pastor on a pedestal. Like they're very aware that a pastor is just another person. And if they see a pastor operating from some aloof place of perfection, they know it's fake. And so what I'm saying is when, when we as ministry leaders have a posture of humility and are real and are living our own faith out loud and are, and are open about our own struggle, that is attractive to people who we hope will come to faith through our ministry. That is very attractive to people because they see that our faith is accessible for real people. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we're still in the midst of COVID. Some churches we're hearing in some places are returning to meeting, but so many are still doing either the virtual thing or creative variations of how they used to gather. And we've wondered what will this season of, of a pandemic and, And not gathering in usual ways, not doing church in the same ways. What will that do to the way we do faith moving Mm. forward? And will some pastors really seize on a creative reinterpretation of spiritual formation? And I'm curious if you've thought about that at all and what you think.
2: I have. I've had some really interesting conversations um, with several pastors about this because they're. There were churches who had built, and, and I, don't say this, I don't say this with any judgment because I think there's a lot of great ways to do church, right? So there were churches that were kind of production heavy, and, um, and that was how they were able to reach people, was just through very well-planned services and, and high production. Well, when, you, when COVID happens, <laughs> like, there is only so much production you can do you know with live services over zoom and um and i think that what we have been forced to do is to remember that one of the greatest things about the church is our community and is our connection and is our ability to come together and to look at each other in our eye and to like fellowship with each other and um, to do life on life and so i think that churches have been forced to recognize that while production is good and it's necessary that there are other things, other ways of deeper connection that people are very hungry for, especially in a time of quarantine and pandemic when we're locked into our houses, that people ache to connect. And so I hear a lot of pastors talking about building new ways for connection, building new systems to allow people to just get to know each other and to go deep in a relationship beyond just like a Bible study group or a small group.
1: hmm well and I think that is in line with what you're saying this this generation craves authenticity and that feels more authentic, more organic, more attractive. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it it really does.
0: And it also at the same time requires more awareness of your own story as a pastor and as a minister that you're not showing up standing behind a microphone that the kind of protective measure of what the pulpit does for a lot of pastors, that there's this separation between them and me. Like it's all, it's all now in us uh, all of a sudden. And and that can actually be both invitational and disruptive.
2: I think Chris, there's something that we could say here. And I, yeah, I think it's worth saying, I've met a lot of pastors who say, you know, I'm just the kind of person who, I am much more comfortable talking to 500 people or a thousand than I am talking to somebody one-on-one. And then, and then I'll hear a lot of times that's just my personality. And, and maybe it is, but my experience, Chris, has been most of the time that there is a reason why Mm -hmm. you are overcome with anxiety when you are forced to sit face to face with someone. Mm -hmm. And it is, probably something that would be healthy to work through and to understand <laughs> a little bit more deeply. Is that fair to say? Is that yeah, all right?
0: I think it's a hundred percent fair to say. And I think that's what I mean by it's both invitational and disruptive. Mm-hmm. There is a, there is an invitation to be disrupted by a new way of having to do church. And I say having to do church, like this is an ancient way of doing church. Um, right. Yeah. But this new, new world that we live in on what is it like for us to be pastors and ministers in the us instead of the me and them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said something a while ago about uh, creating safe places.
2: What does that mean? Hmm. I, when I was pastoring, I felt just really alone, Chris. Mm-hmm. And for me, there was no, there was no one who could both understand what I was feeling and no one who could hold what I was feeling. Because like you said, I was at a place in the food chain where I was needed to be doing the holding both for my family and for my staff and for my church. And so it took an intentional effort for me to pursue a relationship, um, with in my case, it was with the counselor that could hold my story and could hold what I was feeling um, and walk with me through that in a in a really sacred space it actually it felt like when we would meet it felt like we would take off our shoes and just and walk through the forest together because it was it was like holy ground, but it was also out in the wilderness of my heart mm-hmm. and um it I really had to come to grips with the fact that I would never find that in within my ministry ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I had to go outside of that. Um, But that was absolutely necessary for me to do.
0: Yeah. It sounds like the safe place is someone who has a sense of what's going on for you and someone who doesn't care what your ministry as your job is. Yeah.
2: This is someone who doesn't need me. Right. They don't, they don't, They, you know, they don't look up to me necessarily. They don't, they're not enamored by my ministry. They may not even be in the same state as me, but they just are willing to walk. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you do that so well is in creating that kind of environment, that safe space that identifies each and every person as a person, as a son or daughter of God, uh, as someone who's in struggle in order to grow. uh, Right. And, gives freedom to wrestle even with the wrestling. Uh, so that's, that's amazing. That's one of your significant gifts. Uh, thanks, Chris. I,
2: I am just so passionate about talking to men and women, not pastors and leaders and people mm-hmm. in pulpits, but just men and women who used to be boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I love it. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's beautiful. I have a totally different direction question for you as we close out. Um, I've been asking everyone what is the funniest, craziest situation that has occurred while you've been doing a Zoom call oh, the last goodness. few months.
2: <laughs> oh man, I I was actually in this has got to be the worst. I was I was in the middle of a counseling session and my boys got into a fight. And so I am talking with someone who is struggling and then all of a sudden behind me boom, 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 there's pounding on the door dad gabriel hit me and i'm like i'm mortified <laughs> and it was the hardest uh repair i've ever had to do uh, to try to bring that moment back but yes my my children have definitely including open the door opening the door behind me to assume thankfully not in, in a counseling situation but opening the door behind me in their underwear um uh, has <laughs> it has all happened
0: Well, just proof that you yourself are also human.
2: That is 100% true. (laughs) Right?
1: Doing it all out loud. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for joining us today, Jeremy. It's great to see you.
2: It's been an honor. Thank you, Chris and Beth.